start off every sermon probably that I've ever done um, with some kind of story about my life. Um, and usually it's just hilarious because I was just the funniest kid ever. Not really. Um, but usually it's something embarrassing about me or something trivial that took place when I was much younger. Um, they're all true. Um, they've all taken place, uh, believe it or not, uh, at some point during my life. And uh, I'm glad that I have so many experiences to get to share. Um, the reason I'm saying all this is because usually all of these are, are very, they're very funny. Um, they're, you know, it's just kind of something that just happens and it's not really a big deal. Um, I'm going to start off a little bit different this morning. Um, I want to tell you about um, a time in my life where uh, I was very much, uh, kind of as it says up here, and I'll explain a little bit more later uh, about this idea. Um, I was very much on the fence, and I was on the fence about whether or not I wanted to continue to, uh, to be at church. Um, this was several years ago. I was... Um, about 13, 14, 15 years old. Uh, it was not just one specific point in time. It was kind of a, um, a, a dark period during my life. Um, we had, uh, my family had moved from one congregation over to another. And uh, we, we became a part of this, this one church. And uh, and basically, this, this one church that we had just kind of become members at, they actually were in the process of, uh, of joining with another church and kind of you know, merging and becoming one larger congregation. Um, of course, a lot had taken place in the background to make this happen, uh, but there was a, a big kind of transition, and we made our way into this new church. Um, right around the same time that took place, um, that was a, a point in my life that uh, I don't enjoy. Um, I, I was not very happy about these things taking place. Um, but that was when uh, my dad uh, left our family and uh, kind of made it to where it was my mother taking care of me and my younger brother. And uh, this was a, a very difficult Time because, you know, not only were we kind of transitioning and changing our, our family dynamic, we were also changing our, our church dynamic. And it did not really go super well. Um, I would say that we had an okay time transitioning our family. Um, I believe that my mom did an excellent job of, uh, of raising us and, and trying to... Um, you know, to do everything she could for me and my brother. But actually, it was very difficult trying to get used to this, this new congregation that we were a part of. Um, during that time, um, you might have found out from other uh, stories that I've told or from pictures that I've showed, I, I was a very different child 10 years ago. Um, I, I was not the, the person that I am um, really mentally or physically, just very different. Um, and this was a very tough time for me to, to find a place to fit in. And I'll be honest, I, I didn't. Um, I did not feel like I was a part of this church. 
I did not feel like I was a part of the youth group. I did not feel like I fit in where I was. And all of these things going on in my life really allowed me to, to really question whether being at church was where I belonged. And yes, my, of course, my relationship with God was, was able to, to maintain itself, but I was just so in doubt and having so many questions about where I really belonged. Now, luckily, throughout this whole time, though I was really kind of having a hard time with this, before I made any ridiculous decision to, to walk away from, uh, from the church or anything like that, I was actually encouraged to, to come visit uh, the church that I actually grew up at. Uh, and, uh, and I went back and, and got to visit, and I absolutely fell in love with that group of people. And uh, before I knew it, I was back there and absolutely felt like I was where I belonged, where I was supposed to be. But I continue and, and, and so frequently look back at this time where, where I really questioned where I belonged and really questioned if, uh, if being a part of the church was where I was supposed to be, even at such a, a young age. The theme this morning that I want to share with you, of course, as, as you've seen already by now, is on the fence. And uh, if you look up this term, on the fence, the way that it's normally described is it's basically a person who is kind of between two different viewpoints or two different uh, options and is very much undecided. It is someone who is uncommitted to a particular idea uh, or viewpoint. If you will, go and turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Now as we look at Exodus chapter 32, this is of course uh, referring to the Israelites. Uh, now I will go ahead and say, I feel like I talk about the Israelites at least every other month. But I feel like there's a good reason to talk about them so much because they do absolutely, they do so many things wrong. Uh, they're really good at messing up. But because of all the things that they do, because of their very long journey with God, we're able to see and learn so many things from the Israelites. Now, the Israelites themselves, I think that they really proved to be an uncommitted people. No, not, not all the time. Uh, they, they had a, a few positive aspects of, of what they had done. But for the most part, they really show that they are just not 100% committed to what God is doing for them. And of course, we see here, uh, this is of course the exodus. This is their, uh, their exit from Egypt, uh, kind of making their way to a promised land. And, uh, and so many things have taken place. Of course, all of these plagues have taken place to show them who God is. Uh, then, of course, they leave and, and God parts, uh, of course, using Moses, parts the Red Sea before their eyes and they're able to pass through there. Uh, and then, of course, God is literally uh, leading them being a, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire, depending on if it's day or night, and, and is, is actually leading these people uh, all throughout this time. But 
all throughout all of this, you know, no matter which part of this uh, miraculous journey that they go through, they constantly look back to Egypt. They constantly look back to this time of, uh, of captivity and slavery, but, but look at some of the positive parts of it and say, you know, maybe it would be better off if we were back there. But we pick up here in Exodus chapter 32, beginning in, in verse 1. Uh, this might be too small to read. Uh, it might be too bright. Um, but uh, beginning in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 32, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters. Bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So here in this passage, these people are waiting on Moses. They're waiting on him because, of course, he went up uh, onto the mountain and, uh, in their opinion, he was just kind of taking a little bit too long. And so, very quickly, and, and uh, for some reason, they decide that, that they're, going to very, uh, they're going to immediately replace the God that they have been following. This God that, of course, took them out of Egypt and brought them to where they are. They're going to replace him with, with this golden idol, with this calf. And so the people make this decision and, and Aaron allows them to do this and even kind of leads the way. And, and before we know it, they are offering burnt offerings to, to this idol. Now these people were being led by God. They were literally being led by God, but they were choosing to, to follow the world. I think that this statement, this idea of being led by God but following the world, I believe that it fits a lot of people today. I think there's this uh, c continuous idea and, and it I will say this, I think that this is not a completely new concept, but I think this is something that has really kind of been brought to my attention, and it's something that I want to make sure that I share with you this morning. There's kind of this idea of, of what modern Christianity is. This idea of, of being able to be labeled as a Christian um, and still being able to, to live a very different life from, uh, from what we are used to or from what we have commonly seen. Uh, a lot of times, uh, this idea of, of right and wrong 
It continues to become increasingly subjective. And when I say that, what, I, what I'm really trying to say is that many people are, are choosing or believing that they have this idea of taking what is right and wrong and, and really instead of basing it off of the Word of God or basing it off of uh, what has been established previously, it's now becoming even more subjective. It's becoming something that's up to the individual. What's really taking place, I don't want to get too complicated with it, is almost a, a blend of this idea of humanism where, where the individual is the highest power and, of course, monotheism where God is the highest power and, and we're kind of blending this idea. This idea where right and wrong, though it, it may kind of exist, it really just becomes up to the individual. It's this, uh, this new mix of choice. It's almost kind of like this, uh, this, this, this spiritual grocery list where you're able to kind of take it and, and get the, the healthy things that you need, but at the same time you can also get all of these terrible things that can almost be unhealthy for you and you just combine them all in one list and as long as that list is what you want, then it's okay. And I've noticed that, of course, the world is heading in, in that direction but I think this common or this, this label of what Christianity is, I believe is starting to be labeled more and more in this direction as well. A lot of times when I am, uh, when I'm on the road, when I'm traveling, um, I like to listen to a, a lot of different podcasts. Um, you guys might be, you might be a podcast person, you might have no idea what it is. Um, it's basically these kind of radio shows that you find, um, you know, wherever you listen to music. And, uh, and basically, it can be about any subject whatsoever. Um, I, I really like some true crime ones where they go in and they kind of help resolve these old murders. Those are really cool. Uh, but sometimes I like to listen to different, um, different podcasts that revolve around um, religion or spirituality. And I like to kind of hear, you know, what exactly, uh, what, or what direction the, the world is trying to take this idea of what Christianity is. And so many times, I've kind of heard this, this same testimonial from so many people. And I want to kind of tell you what a lot of these people are saying. A lot of them tend to be millennials. They, they tend to be uh, around my age, a little bit older. Um, but there, there seems to be this, this, this movement. And most of these people say something along these lines. Basically, they say something about how they, they grew up and they were raised in the church. But over time, they kind of realized that, that their church just said that too many things were, were wrong. That, that so many things were, were, were sinful, were things that we didn't need to participate in. And they didn't agree with that. They didn't think that that was really uh, what needed to take place. And so then they, they leave the church. And not only do they leave the church, but then they, they allow themselves to think that they personally are, are going to kind of explore this idea of, of what it means to follow God. 
And so they do this, and then they, they all kind of come up with their own unique way that they are still religious people without having any kind of affiliation to, uh, to the church or, or to what has been established previously. And so all these people are now kind of exploring what they think God means to them or what Christ means to them. And I want to address this by, by making this very clear. Honestly, I think that it's good for us to explore who God is. In fact, I think that it's absolutely mandatory in our lives that we really actually look into who God is, that we don't just walk into the church building and allow whatever I tell you or what Mark tells you to just be what is. I think that it's important for us to explore who God is. But that has to take place through the Word. It has to take place by us taking our Bible and reading it on our own personal time and understanding what it is telling us. Not through our own personal interpretation or ideas of what we think that this world is trying to, to offer us through God Himself, but through the Word. And I think we need to make sure that we do explore it and look at who God is regularly through the Word. But meanwhile, while we are gaining this understanding of who God is in our own lives, I think that culture, our, our culture here in the U.S. and Christ, I believe that it is being attempted to be blurred together. I think that it has in the past been blurred together a little bit. And I think that that connection will continue to take place. I think that it's pretty apparent that there are some places that, that say that they are churches, that say that they are places where you go to worship God, and it is in fact far from it. Where the focus is not on God Himself, but on the individual's that are there. And I think that this blurring is going to continue to take place as time goes on. This idea that we can uh, have a, a spiritual opinion, but also that we don't have to go against the world. That we can kind of take both sides on this. And I think that continuously... The world is going to tell us this. They're going to tell us to follow both. Feel free to, to follow Christ and follow the things that He set up, but at the same time, feel free to follow whatever opinions that the world is bringing to us. And I think that this is going to cause a, a very large problem for, for people that uh, are, are considered to be new believers why would they choose to, to follow a place where, where something is wrong, where, where they're told that, that sin is in existence when there's another place down the road that tells them that you can live however you want as long as you acknowledge who Christ is? And I think this just continues to take place. I think this just continues to become more prominent in so many people's 
lives. And the sad thing is that people are, are no longer on the fence and very uncomfortable about being on the fence while trying to, to make a decision of if they want to be on this side or this side. People are now getting comfortable on the fence. People are now kind of performing this balancing act. And they're looking at one side and they're looking at what the world is, is telling them that they can have and that they can do. And they're looking at Christ and they're looking at the Word and they're weighing it and they're understanding or kind of coming to terms with this idea that they can have both. This idea that we can live and be a part of the world just as much as we can be a part of the church. And so they're taking from both sides with confidence. They're taking from these different ideas that really are so contradictory and they're confident in it and they're living their lives this way and they're comfortable. I want to look at a passage that uh, I'm sure comes to mind for several of you to Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now I want to talk just a little bit about the kind of the translation of this verse. There are a couple words here that we can actually look into a little bit more and gain a little bit better understanding. Uh, one of those words is hate. Uh, what this really kind of, uh, you know, what this really kind of shows us is this idea that you know there's two masters and you're either love one and hate one, or you'll despise one and be devoted to one, and it's very much kind of a one or the other idea. If you look at uh, the word hate, the way that this is used, it, it's not actually. Uh, it doesn't actually translate the same way that we use the word hate. Um, it's not so much this hatred or this kind of vast opposite of love. The way that hate in this particular verse is actually translated, it means something along the lines of love less. Love less the one and love more the other. And then, of course, at the end we see... You cannot serve God and money. Uh, this, of course, is also translated to mammon, which can also be translated to the idea of possessions. You cannot serve God and possessions. You cannot serve God and, and have this materialistic view and search for the things of this world. But this idea of being able to, to look at this and, and, uh, and taking this love more or less idea you can kind of see a little bit better this, this illustration of serving two masters. It's this idea of, of trying to, to love one master and love one a little bit less, but you know, still trying to, to give both uh, what, what you feel like they deserve. It's almost kind of this 60-40, uh, you know, giving one 60% and giving the other 40%. And I think that this is 
You know, one of the best illustrations that we can look at when we're talking about this idea of being on the fence. Uh, you're here and you're kind of performing this balancing act. And you're trying to, you know, you want God to have the most, so, so he's going to have this 60%. Uh, but then you also want to be a part of the world. You want to be able to participate in these things. So you're going to give it 40%. And you have this balancing act going on. But if you give any percent at all to the world, you're on the fence. You're not being definitive in your life and what you need in your life. And you're not devoting everything to your God. Back at Exodus chapter 32, of course we see that Moses was gone. That Moses had gone up onto the mountain and the, the people were waiting for him and they were growing impatient and of course that's why they make this decision to, uh, to, to start to, to follow something else. I want to look back at Exodus chapter 19. It's the passage that Brody read for us this morning. And in Exodus chapter 19, we, we learn about where Moses had gone. And we learn about what exactly was taking place. And I want to read this passage again, and this time I want to focus on exactly what the Lord is telling Moses here. Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, says, On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Before this calf was made in the camp of, of the Israelites, God had delivered these people. God had brought these people out from under the Egyptians and was now leading them. And here we even see as they're brought to the wilderness and as Moses is brought up and, and, and the Lord speaks to Moses, he starts off by telling Moses to tell these people, if you obey my voice, you will be my treasured possession. He was telling them that great things were in store for these people in result of their obedience. So much was going to be promised to them because of their obedience. But not just a, a half-hearted, uh, partially committed uh, 
obedience. A full, committed obedience was required of these people. And of course, as this passage continues, as these chapters continue, Moses is being given the law that he was to to give to the people of Israel. And as Moses is receiving the words of obedience that these people are supposed to follow, they're already they're already forsaking their God. They're already choosing to go in a different direction. I think that so many people choose to be like Israel today. They say that they are in God's camp. They say that they are a part of what Christianity might mean to them while serving something else entirely. And although they receive a a promise that's much greater than even what Israel was promised, they're in God's camp while serving something else. In Revelation chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me, John is writing, uh, of course, he's receiving this revelation from God and he's writing to the church in Laodicea. And of course, this is a, a very... Uh, a very well-known verse, and of course it's something that we've kind of looked at before. But Laodicea is a church that's known for, for being that church that is lukewarm. They're, they are that church that is neither hot nor cold, and, and as a result of that, they are going to be spit out. And we learn about that and, and we identify Laodicea as this church. But why were they told this? Why were, were they told that this was going to take place to them? Well, we see why in Revelation chapter 3. Beginning in verse 15, I know your works. You are neither hot nor, uh, neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So... Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What is taking place in the church in Laodicea is that they were choosing to to follow God and follow the world. To chase after possessions, to to go after this idea of materialism, and to do both. To be a part of the church and to be a part of the world. And at this point, up until they received this letter, they were okay with that. And so at this time, when they received this letter, they are on the fence. Israel was on the fence. Laodicea was on the fence. So as we 
come to a close this morning, I want to ask you a question. Oh, there's the... Where are we? Where are we? Both, of course, as a church. And and I want to go ahead and, and address this and say this. I think that doctrinally we are sticking to the Word. I think that doctrinally there's going to be uh, probably some people that are very much against what we believe. That believe that the opinions of people is greater than what our God has instructed and commanded us and what God has left for us in His Word. I think that people are going to have a difficult time and as we continue to exist, there may continue to be uh, a a sort of resistance toward that. But I think that we are doing everything that we should be doing doctrinally. Now, of course, we always need to ask ourselves the question, as a church, what more can we do? What things can we do better? What, what can we do more to, to reach out to other people, to reach beyond these walls? What can we do to, uh, to increase the unity that we have within the church? So where are we as a church? But more importantly, where are we as individuals? I want you to think about and kind of picture with me, if you will, this idea of a fence. And there are these, there are these two yards, and right in the middle is a fence. It can look just like this, if, if, if that's what you want it to look like. Where do you see yourself if the world is on this side and the Word is on this side? Where are you? Are you performing a a balancing act right now? Are you trying to do a decent amount of things for God, but you also just really want to be a part of what's going on in the world as well? Are you trying to make compromises with the life that God wants you to live and the life that you want to live? When we think back to the life of Christ, we see that He was someone who definitely was in communication with people of the world. But He lived a perfect, sinless life. And He still died. And He died for every single one of us. So that way, when it's time for us to make that decision of what side of the fence we belong on, we are confident and we know and we can put 100% into our God, into our church. So again, where are we? Where are you right now? Maybe you feel like you are balancing more than ever before. And that you've got one hand over here as a part of the church following the Word of God. 
but you're also following the world. And maybe you realize now that this is a problem. That if we don't give 100% to God, things aren't going to turn out well. Or maybe you are a part of the world and you haven't yet understood exactly what it means to be a part of the church. And you want to know more, you desire more than anything to put on Christ in baptism. Where are you? I hope this